ever. This is absolutely horrible. We never get any extra shots. We never get any time to experiment. We never get to, you know, go dreamy or anything. Yes, come in. Chopping wood inside. And we're back. Uh, Murphy, Tom, still there? How are you? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Had a long week of work. I'm excited about watching uh, part 10 here, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> now, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. So, uh, did you uh, go on vacation recently? Yeah, we did. We both went to the Twin Peaks Festival, dude. We had a great time. We went up for the Twin Peaks Festival, and uh, it was a magical time. It really is quite a beautiful area. Um, outside of Seattle, just the trees I can see just from the pilot, Dale Cooper, what kind of wonderful trees you got growing around here. They really are majestic and uh, lush, and it's a really beautiful area. And we stayed at the Salish, the Great Northern, and what a fantastic hotel. Really like, beautiful amenities. Very nice. Yes, beautiful. That cheese plate they gave us that one day. The cheese Excellent. plate is very nice. I had a bath as well in our little suite. It was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out over uh, the Twin Peaks cast down there below, they couldn't see me behind the uh, the glass. It was great. That's right. There was a window right there. So the yeah. people who were looking at the falls, yeah. you could see lounging. them, yeah. but they couldn't see you, right? Yeah, you even hiked down. You hiked down to the falls, didn't you? You went all the way down there. I did. Apparently, the, some friends of ours that we met there um, knew someone who had a special actor, had access to this trail that led to... The falls where you can go down there because you can't from the sailors you can't go down there they've got all these signs posted so took this hike it was about 30 minutes and uh, when we got there there was this little clearing and you can see it and there was a rainbow it was just just beautiful just magical and uh, was with a great group of uh, people that we met and uh, it was great I didn't go swimming though because I didn't bring my swim trunks I didn't know that I was going to be dipping uh, going dipping but uh, in the water so I just kind of sat in a rock and watched everyone kind of frolic but took some pictures, but it was great. Yeah, I'm not sure a swimsuit ever made an appearance in the Twin Peaks series at all. Did you ever see a swimsuit at all? They didn't bring one. It's so. yeah. a good question. Yeah. And uh, we got to see some of the sites. We went to the Double R pretty much every day we were there. And uh, But you know what? We didn't get pie. We didn't order pie. We did not get pie, no. I ordered, ordered a, yeah, ordered a shake, spice. and that yeah. kind of ruined my pie appetite. And uh, um, I enjoyed it. You didn't really enjoy it that much, right? Uh, well, the double R, the food wasn't as, you know, it wasn't quite normal worthy, but it was still good. It wasn't bad. You know, I was a little hungover when I was there, so I couldn't really <laughs> judge it accurately. <laughs> Speaking of being a little hungover, so we were at the fest and it had, you know, they had, you know, all these events planned and uh, uh, we went rogue a little bit, you know, a few times. We went and uh, saw most of the sites on our own, like we saw the, the Mount Sai Motel. What was your favorite site to see? Um, well, I guess Jackrabbit's Palace. That was really cool. We walked right past it. Do you remember that? Yeah, we did. I didn't even notice it was there. We thought it wouldn't be right at the very beginning of the trail, but there it was. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. Right. And we met some cool people. Our friend Jackie, who's a, a great person, she said, uh, oh, you're looking for Jackrabbit's Palace, dudes? You uh, passed it. You just walked right past it. So she gave us the coordinates of Jackrabbit's Palace, and she was the one actually who uh, told me about the hike. And uh, it was uh, so she was really great. And uh, so I would say that I think that uh, Jackrabbit's Palace. We we got there right 
almost at 253. I think it was like at three o'clock and the sun was... <laughs> Did we do just, it on purpose? Was that a, no, no, yeah. purely accidental. But uh, the pictures that we got there, it was really, really the, the mood, the ambiance was just fantastic. So that was my... And then the, when we went to the hotel, like the Dutchman, the hotel that was in Firewalk with me, with uh, Teresa Banks, um, I had you go into this doorway. There was this door open and to act as the busy woman, like the end credits of part 15. And we took a shot of that. I love that. Oh, yeah. Was Room five and a half. Was that yeah, really we, where she stood? The exact no, spot? I don't I don't. It's a good question. I don't know. But I we had you uh, knock on uh, number eight where Philip Jeffries was. That was a good good moment, too. Yeah. I enjoyed the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. When you go inside, they let us inside. They're very nice. And uh, they, all the it looked almost exactly the same. Like, everything looked the same. Even right, though most of the thing was shot, like, other than the pilot, right? It was all shot in L.A. But they recreated it. And, and pretty much, it's now it's like a dune buggy company or something. <laughs> but uh, it looks the same. <laughs> it looks almost exactly the same. So Yeah, yeah. it was so cool. It was huge. We, we were the bigger only, than you think. Yeah, we were the only two people there. And uh, I think there was a tour going around that, at that time, but we we didn't we decided not to go on the tour, and it was in between tours, so no one was really there. So they were like, they said, "Oh, do you want to sit in Lucy's desk?" And all that. We didn't really want to, but we chatted up these uh, two women who worked there, and they were very very nice. And they let us go all the way in the back, and we got to see that room where in the return where like Maggie and Chad and Jesse, and then those other CSI Twin Peaks. Uh, cops you know in the way back that back 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 room the real cops. only yeah the real cops or whatever and that was pretty cool and all the conference rooms yeah that was great yeah and we had a good uh, time I had lots of good friends got to meet some of the cast it was, uh, it was overall a very good experience i'm glad we did it yeah we didn't really have that much interaction with the, the cast i think i chatted up kimmy robertson briefly because she had during one of her like the banquet she said that uh when someone asked her what she was doing she said she was getting her bathrooms remodeled and then um, I saw her like outside or whatever, and I just was walking past, and I just asked her what the motif was, and that kind of struck up a little bit of a conversation. And then nothing, and then I think we saw her outside of the theater that next night, Eraserhead, right? Yeah. Um, and she just kind of walked up to me and she said like, post-colonial or something like that. Like she had remembered, didn't she say something like, "I was yeah, she had, she thought of it in the bath. She was taking a bath in the same suite that I was, a different suite, obviously, but uh, she had remembered it, and that was what her answer. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool. Pretty and then I chatted up uh, Lucy yeah, came to do, yeah, yeah, George Griffith, that fucker Ray. I had a good conversation with him. Well, we also got to hang out with Stewart, our homie Stewart, our favorite oh, woodsman yeah. number one. He was great, fantastic. Got to meet him in person. Got to hang out with all the woodsmen, and uh, he was a great guy. And uh, even Amy Shields sent me a little nice video on uh, her way out. It was great. That was probably the highlight for me. Was I uh, was waiting outside for our car you have to valet at the Salish and I was waiting and um, she had come out with someone else and she was waiting and we just struck up a brief conversation I'm not really someone who kind of imposes but we just struck up a conversation and I think I told her that that previous night we had uh, uh, tied one on and my uh, my friend was uh, not coming to join me for the hike and and (laughs) won't go into too many details or whatever but uh, and so she got in a car there was a Twin Peaks mobile remember that there was a like a Twin Peaks mobile. Yeah, Range Rover. It was, it was nice. great. Range Rover. And she got in that, and they were about to pull out. And she goes, hey, you, come over here. And I went over, and she goes, well, you want a picture? And I go, well, sure. And uh, we took a picture. Then she goes, well, let's make a video. And uh, she made a little, like, short video where she kind of, to you, she you know sent a video to you talking about what we had talked about what had happened last night, which we're not going to talk about on the podcast. And that was great. So it's a little private message that Amy Shields sent Murphy, and it was a uh, it's a glorious moment. Yeah, I was laid up in the hotel room, all the windows closed in complete hungover agony. And uh, the second I saw that video, it made me like this 20% happier. So thank you, Amy Shields. 
you're fantastic. You helped this guy. I, I think the only she, she was great. They were all great. So many cast members. But I think for me, the it didn't start off so well because on my way to the airport, I took a shuttle, and somewhere between the shuttle and going through the checkpoint TSA thing or whatever, um, I lost my. Lynch book, Room to Dream. I brought that to read on the plane. Oh, yeah. If anyone has that, please return it. Yeah, please. The shuttle didn't have SeaTac Airport. (laughs) No, that was in Austin. That was still in Austin. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, so I thought maybe, oh, that's kind of a, you know, maybe an omen, a a harbinger for maybe, you know, bad things to come. But uh, that was the the low point right off the bat. And, uh, but I need to get a new copy because I didn't finish reading it. Well, you'll get a new copy. Maybe you'll listen to the audio version. Maybe someone will send me an Xmas present, Murphy. Maybe I... Yeah, well, if you can wait a few months, maybe you'll get one. You've been a very good <laughs> co-host here. So uh, are we ready to uh, review part 10? Queued up for part 10. What is the... Is this Laura's the One? Is that right? Yeah. So when you saw the episode titles last summer during the run, because they would kind of... They would uh, reveal several upcoming episodes... Um, and then this one was Laura is the one. I got like super excited. I mean, I was always super excited. Yeah. But I thought out. that we were going to maybe get a little Laura Palmer. We did get Laura Palmer, but not how we thought we would. You were certain. You were certain this is the moment when Laura was coming back. We were, we were waiting every episode to see when Laura was going to return. We thought this was going to be it. And we got kind of fooled. But uh, she does make an appearance in this episode, if I recall. Barely. Yeah, talking about getting things wrong, like uh, one of our friends that we met up in, in, in Snoqualmie, uh, Fiona, she's, she didn't know about our show, and she started listening to our podcast, and she's been sending us messages, and uh, she's having a great time with it, but she's pointing out about a billion things that we've gotten wrong, especially me. In fact, she's like, you know, Murphy said, seems to kind of like, you know, <laughs> he really. was saying this. No, she was like, so you've got more right than I did. And it's like, ah, uh, there's a reason why I don't listen to the old shows, but... Uh, yeah. Well, neither of us re- realized that the white horse was not really Troy the Pony. Troy the Pony was caramel colored from the diary, and I had not. Yeah, that's that right. For twenty-five years, that was a good, good. Wasn't that Fiona who mentioned that? Yeah, so good, good call there. So we're queued up here at the Rancho Rosa Logo. Are you ready to go, Tom? Let's do it. All right. If you're following along with us, hit press play now. There we were. We were just not there. a black and white Rancho Rosa Logo, so we knew that they were pretty much was not gonna. They were gonna play it straight this episode. Usually, the black and white meant other uh, lodge. Yeah, Lodge. Yeah. Lodge. How would you so, sum this episode up if you were to sum it up in like, you know, just Johnny, how are you today? That's all I remember. <laughs> That's all I can think That's of. That's probably my favorite scene, <laughs> but I watched it again before the show, and um, and I probably hadn't seen this episode since its original airing that week. I probably watched it a few times, but I liked it because I think my expectations were so low. It's one of the three or four, like six, nine, ten, and twelve, which I think maybe are a little slower. But watching it again, I just really appreciated the, the comedy of it because there are, there are there's a balance of comedy and violence in this episode. In fact, the first three scenes, I believe, have a violent act in them. And I think the first two are like extremely violent. Uh, but then it kind of settles into some of the comedy stuff with Janie E. finding her husband attractive after realizing after, you know, what, four or five days that he's lost a bunch of weight. And then their sex scene and him eating the chocolate cake. So just and then the whole scene with uh, with Sizemore. Uh, the casino and candy goes down to talk to them, and the Mitchum brothers are watching. And I mean, that scene lasted like two minutes of just them watching in silence, watching candy, making all these hand gestures. Like what the hell is she talking about? I was just, I was laughing because there was no expectation. I knew what was going on. So this was one of those transition episodes. We didn't really move the plot forward that much, but um, I think this was one of the more subtler episodes, but it, the comedy played, uh, uh, the comedy was really, you know, well played. I thought. 
Well, it's not well played in this first scene. We hear little Dicky Horn. He's showing up in his uh, rented uh, <laughs> car, and he's going to go beat on Miriam's uh, trailer park. And this is going to be very ugly, I think, if I recall. Yeah, and then also, why would she admit to little Dicky Horn that she did talk to the police, but she didn't really talk to them. She sent them a letter, and she even says, oh, I sent <laughs> it today. Letter. Oh, God. Yeah, who sends and a letter to the yeah, the little hamster goes off in his head and goes, oh, wait, okay, so if she said it today, I can call Chad to intercept the message, and I can go in and just kill her right now. So you're saying they could have done a rewrite in that dialogue, you think, Tom? I think so. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, here's another thing that I was thinking about that we can talk about is thinking about Twin Peaks and the plot of Twin Peaks in Season 3, because we didn't spend as much time in Twin Peaks. Uh, probably we spent more time at the Roadhouse and the Sheriff's Station than any real other location. But... The real major plot in Twin Peaks was the sheriff station and trying to discover or finding out about the two Coopers and then ultimately going to Jack Rabbit's palace. And that's where the big climax happens in part 17. But other than that, the real main storyline of Twin Peaks is little Dickie Horn. He pretty much, I think, is the, the, you know, has the most scenes, the more relevant scenes. And I was thinking about that. Why focus in on that character, a new character, as opposed to maybe some of the old characters or maybe tie him in more with uh, Red and that sparkle plot? But I got to thinking, well, since the whole thing isn't really about necessarily Twin Peaks per se, but it's really about Cooper's journey or his return to not only Twin Peaks, but, you know, from the Lodge and to this world, and also maybe with Laura, is that Little Dickie Horn is the offspring of Mr. C. It's one of those things where, you know, if Cooper hadn't failed in the original run, then there would be no doppelganger and there would be no raping of Audrey in ICU and she wouldn't have got pregnant. So this cascading effect. So I think that was probably the intent of Lich and Frost with this particular subplot, to, even though it's not on the surface like ding, 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 because we don't find out that he's her son until much later. But I think that's, you know, in retrospect, what's going on. Yeah, he's like a surrogate Mr. C. Mr. C is still tormenting, and he's invaded, you know, he's got a little Bob seed in him. It's a little, little bit of Bob DNA in little Dickie Horn, and so he's still running amok and torturing people in Twin Peaks, even though Coop's not there. Is it possible right, that this is not real? <laughs> I think the Twin Peaks stuff is real. We've been talking about that we're big on the dream theory, but I think Twin Peaks is, no no one is dreaming Twin Peaks. I think it's it's happening. We are. Um, I went, what's that? We are. <laughs> well, the audience the but it's, I like the aspect we're the dreamers we'll, it could happen the thing with Twin Peaks being real that I like about it being real is if, if we're seeing it's because it's darker it's, it's more depressing there's a black cloud hanging over Twin Peaks as opposed to Vegas which we kind of believe is this kind of Dougie dream world and this manufactured dreamscape from the lodge because we don't believe Cooper really left but it's a nice balance because everything that's going on in Vegas with Cooper as Dougie is kind of like, you know, bright and sunshiny, even though we've got some like, you know, violence on the periphery and some other like, you know, chicanery and whatnot. Um, Cooper is, you know, blissfully unaware. And he's, you know, he's a, he's a local hero for, you know, uh, for the incident with Ike the Spike. They even say that on a little news report in this episode. And, uh, you know, he gets the girl, even though it's his wife. You know, she rediscovers her love for him. And the Mitchin brothers have hearts of gold. And it's really a contrast to what we're seeing in Twin Peaks. And I think it really plays into the two characters of Cooper and Mr. C, is that the, the fallout of Mr. C, like we were talking about, is really kind of affecting all these other areas, um, whether it's New 
New York with the Glass Box or South Dakota with the Zone and Hastings and Twin Peaks with all the, you know, the, the Deer Meadow-esque activity going on there. But Vegas is kind of the outlier. That's more kind of the sunshiny, happy little dream world. Yeah, but isn't it interesting, like, Miriam, you know, she could have called the cops and had, you know, the cops go in for Little Dicky Horn immediately, but she sent him a letter. And then Little Dicky Horn goes in there, and he could have actually just killed her, but he just kind of, like, left her maybe to die, sort of. So it's kind of like a, a Dougie version of, like, a, a violent scene where it was kind of not as violent as you thought it was. That was my only suggestion. But uh... Well, that's also, he busted in the door to her little trailer, and then I think he shot her, but he also, like, turned on the gas of the oven and lit yeah, a, candle, a candle. But <laughs> the gas could <laughs> easily escape through the broken yeah, little window. Through the, and through the, yeah. <laughs> trailer, yeah, it's pretty drafty. Well, oh, here we go. Okay, here's Steven. Yeah, Steven's going nuts, right? Are you just Steven or are you still at Harry Dean? I'm on Steven. Yeah, well, I saw Harry Dean. We've got to talk He's about that out. in a second. But here's our second consecutive scene or successive scene of violence of Steven showing his, his, his true character. And he doesn't beat um becky but he's you know he's, he's a fist up and uh, obviously they're fighting and he's super aggressive and he's not a good guy but uh yeah and the coffee cup get you know was thrown out the window while harry dean was singing red river valley with didn't great uh, scene mark there. frost tease that scene and before the season even came out he goes there will be a scene of a coffee cup flying out of a window you're absolutely right that way he said that in multiple interviews that's the one little there it is. kernel of information he gave out and it was you know it's the one truth he told well, he did tell me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that whole thing reminds me with Steven is that scene in part two where Shelly's at the roadhouse with her girlfriends and they're kind of chatting right before I think she says, oh, James, James is cool. He's always cool. But they were talking about Steven and how Steven was like, oh, everybody loves Steven. Steven's a great guy. How could, like, what we're seeing here be interpreted as him being a great guy? So maybe we're seeing like a little bit of a, a timeline shift there within the roadhouse because there's some, some weirdness going on in the roadhouse. Or perhaps the sparkle could affect him and turn him into like a bipolar maniac. Maybe he's very there you sweet, go. So maybe eating the dough, yeah. doing all kinds of romantic things, you know, as, as good as he can, being Steven. Uh, when he's sober, when he takes a sparkle, the, he turns to a demon. Well, you can see a little maybe. bit of like, you know, that his first scene. I mean, he's, he's an idiot, obviously, going for the job interview and then with Becky. And you know, he seems like he's trying. Like a little boyish Kinda, charm. In his own way. Yeah. yeah, in his own way. He's trying. <laughs> but after that, he's just downhill. He's trying. <laughs> I couldn't even understand his lines. I had to listen to like eight because I didn't have the subtitles the first time they came around. I, could, I was pretty much illegible. I could not understand him for the first few times I watched his performance. But uh, right there with you, my yeah. friend. I had to put up, uh, pull up the old subtitles. Yeah, yeah, In, unintelligible. Here we got Candy with Chase uh, the Fly. Chase and the Fly. But just they like never Lucy. showed the fly. Don't you wish they kind of showed the fly? I don't think that would have been better. I completely agree. I wish they had showed the fly, but it really kind of is. It's too cheap. I would say. Maybe it was too, like, they're on the run. Like, Lynch was, like, so struggling for time throughout the whole production. Remember, this was the scene in Behind the Scenes where he said, like, who gives a shit how long a fucking scene is? Yeah, because everyone's like, please cut this, David. Please cut this. Please cut this down. (laughs) Please, David. That is, he said, fuck you. So, what do you think? Now, you say you like it better now. First time I saw it, not as much, but uh, it didn't bother me with the sound down. What do you think? You watched it last night. Uh, I just watched it before and not having the expectations, knowing what. Amy <laughs> Shields is freaking out, man. <laughs> She's great in this scene She's really and all it, of yeah. her scenes. Yeah, she's really selling it. And I think wasn't the reason why they actually included this. Didn't like uh, Robert Nepper actually cut himself? The actor, oh yeah, and they really a, did. They don't have a reason to do that. So, yeah, exactly. and so they just—that's the way. That's how they solved it. But uh, if they could make mother, they could create all these things. Could they just like CGI his little cut? I guess so, right? Yeah. yeah. But I like the more organic I like effects. I like it. But uh, the original series, Lucy, 
uh, also was trying to like swat a fly, but That's they right. showed the flight, right? Hasn't it also happened in other Lynch movies? Has there been fly involved? Well, there were a bunch of fly times. Wild at Heart. Remember Chasing she goes, flies? I barfed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I barfed. Um, well, here we are now. We're at the, uh, like, Dougie's getting a checkup finally. This is episode 10. She's like, you need to check up at episode three. Seven episodes later, we finally get it. Right. And he's ripped. Yeah, so he's been like pumping iron in the lodge or something. Or maybe this is just well, we, his fantasy self, as he says. He well, dreams there, himself yeah, to I think, be. Because well, isn't he bare chested in part 18, post coital with Diane? Uh, yes, and fully waxed. Actually, I think the wax job is starting. I think, yeah, I think it was a little bit because, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this is his ideal self. And if he were to have actually been like transported out of his dream state into Laura's dream in eighteen, then he's kind of a flabalanche. He's been sitting around the lodge for twenty-five years. (laughs) He's atrophying, which is what we saw. And it's like his his wax chest was slowly getting stubble. You know, it had been a while, so he's finally back in the real world. He's got to go. Well, also. The lack of the what I saw this scene, I was going to go like, oh, they're going to put it together that he's not really the Dougie Jones because Cooper would have scars from being shot and knifed by Wyndham Earl previous to that, and then maybe D- Janie E would, you know, she would know she would have seen her husband naked before, and that there was going to be a connection that okay, this man <laughs> isn't my husband, but they didn't go there. Nothing. No, they just didn't bother with the blood test or anything. He just like said, "Fuck it, you're Dougie." Well, he would probably have the same blood as Dougie. Well, this I would have sent him to thing. a neurologist. Actually, he seems like he's <laughs> a regular general practitioner. I would have sent him to a neurologist next. I'm not sure that ever happened. Well, I think she just got sexed up by his chest and was like, "Wow, you're looking good." So she just kind of forgot about it. Well, and also him flexing him with the blood pressure uh, device on him. He's like, he's his muscles are really tight in his arm. I think that really kind of got her going as well. Oh yeah, a little yeah. Eyebrow she's race. really kind of looking at the, yeah, the bulging bicep, but. Um, you know, the original uh, Dougie was probably not a very good lover, you know. He looked a little bit lethargic. I think it would be a selfish lover, yeah. But he he's also have... with uh, J- Jade, and he's spreading it around, so. But he was paying that for well. that. Yeah. He was paying for that. Well, don't you think that, well, D- Dougie, the actual Tulpa Dougie and Cooper would have the same DNA? So no blood test. A blood test would match. That's true. That's a good point. Well, who knows yeah. what the Tulpas have in their system? They could have, like, some, like, uh, <laughs> synthetic blood. Midichlorians? Yeah, who knows? Midichlorians. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are back he at the a, uh, yeah. So we're back at Nepper's house and uh, Candyman and Sandy are serving him drinks and crying. I think this location, if I'm not Could this mistaken, scene have been cut? well, probably yeah. this is this episode probably has four or five scenes that um, a could have been cut, but b probably were let you know be played out more when they expanded from nine to eighteen. Because can't yeah. you see like this scene specifically, like you know Bradley and Rodney sitting the you know in front of the TV, uh, drinking while Candy's crying in the corner, and then they see Douglas Jones on the screen and realize we've got to get this guy. It's like a paragraph, but it plays out for like five minutes. There's like any number of scenes that that play out like that. But that's that's Lynch. I mean, he was starting with I think the second season of Twin Peaks is where he really started to let his camera kind of breathe and the editing became the pacing became a little bit more like deliberate not as like concise you look at something like blue velvet that's like i'm not saying it's lean and mean but um compared to his later work 
it's more conventional. And I think in that second season premiere, our favorite episode, especially that first scene with Cooper and, and the Giant, I mean, that scene plays out with Senior Drill Cup for like you know, 10, 15 minutes. And Lynch, after that, Lynch would always let his scenes kind of breathe. It was very kind of Kubrickian. And he's just gone even more extreme. And it's almost hypnotic. Uh, it becomes hypnotic, especially with him behind the camera, because he's able to, it's not just a static cam. I mean, it is, but there's just, he's able to infuse his scene, whether it's sound design or a characterization or something random like a fly or whatever to make it interesting because more often than not it would be boring but it's not the best part of this scene is watching uh, more of the Cobra Cooper scene with Janie e explaining it like we did the good old karate chop and all that good stuff and Dougie's like trying to go for the badge <laughs> they really like have a long interview here on, on that live television here do you think the, the good actress, old karate chop <laughs> do you think the actress who played the character who said the oh Douglas Jones, like, you know, he moved like a cobra. She got, she probably saw that scene and goes like, all right, you know, there's my one scene and done. And, but they played it again here. Yeah, in I loved it. 10. She did a good job. Yeah. She's I liked her too. Yeah. I think she's listed as soccer mom in the credits. Soccer mom. Well, big ups to her. Good performance. See, doesn't it say right there under local news when it shows Cooper, it says like local hero, like nab suspect or something like that. Local hero nabs him. I think that's what it says. So Cooper, as Dougie, this zombie, is like a hero already, not really doing anything. That's right. It's like, and it's in total contrast of Mr. C, it's his doppelganger, but also the like the effects of his failure of the original series uh, finale, allowing his doppelganger out into the world and all the mayhem and madness and destruction and violence he's caused. Here is Cooper finally, you know, quote unquote, out of the lodge, and he's in this kind of. Uh, you know, this bliss land as a little Buddha and everything that he touches, it turns to gold. That's another real big tell for me, at least, that what we're seeing here, even though it's played out as reality, is not reality. It's more of a dream state or a manufactured dreamscape. Well, here we go. Another three minute scene of Doug eating some chocolate cake. We saw him <laughs> seeing at least five minutes of chocolate cake in the series. And here we go. But this Looks example it's a of... But him eating this the, the chocolate cake, I mean, this is a great, great scene just because of his, he does nothing but put the fork into the cake, put it to his mouth, look to Janie E, and his facial expressions, his reactions are just comic gold. I mean, I was laughing hysterically this time. The first time I was watching, I was like, uh, where's Laura? Laura's the one. Let's get through this. You know, I was just anxious for something to happen. But now I can appreciate the subtleties of the characterizations and the comedy. And I love how she's, they make her like, she's got like a little glow to her. They kind of sexed her up a little bit. And his just like, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. This is a great scene. Yeah, Naomi really brings her character to life. The first couple of episodes or whatever, I wasn't really into her, but she starts becoming alive and really, like, the lines aren't even that great, but she really, you know, acts the hell out of them. And uh, why do you think uh, chocolate cake? What does that, that symbolize, Tom? <laughs> we ever see chocolate cake <laughs> at all in any well, Twin Peaks or David Lynch uh, movie or television show? Well, I think that, okay, so we know that Cooper has the metabolism of a bumblebee. He likes his sweets. I don't think they wanted to go cherry pie or pie here because of the cherry pie dream that's going to happen, I believe, in the next episode that saves his life from the Mitchum brothers. So, like, why not come up with something else, like chocolate cake? Fair enough. Here we go. A sexy Dougie. Dougie and Janie E going at it. Is that a body double from behind of Naomi Watts? Uh, I don't know, but she's got good form. He, not so much. But he's having fun with it. Well, he doesn't have good form because he hasn't had sex in 25 plus years. It must be good because his arms are bouncing up and down. He looks very happy. 
He's like a child again. He's just skeptical. He's like big. He's like, what the hell is this? This is a wonderful perk of being alive. Yeah, but she has to know that her son is in the next room and she's yeah, screaming out her Come husband's on. name. Come on. That's for comedy. The kid. That's for comedy. The kid, give us some earplugs. Something. Get him into metal for something. Loud music. You know, I have a question. I like this scene post-coital. I think they go back to the Johnny Jewel a little bit. Oh, that's right. They do, yeah. yeah but he's not the He's in bliss. Like, he's, like, happy. He's like, wow. He's kind of like Tom Hanks well, in Big. He's like, wow, I could be, like, in this dream forever. Well, don't awesome. you think that, that scene in part 16 when he takes him to the casino and it's the tearful goodbye and he tells him, like, you've filled my heart with so much joy and, and all this love and... I mean, he's probably thinking of, well, a number of scenes, but this scene is especially, don't you think? This yeah, I've scene. never seen Agent Cooper happier. Like even, I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's very blissed out in that, that shot. That's great. He looks 25 years younger. Uh, you're, you know what? That's a great, great description. You're absolutely right. He does. It's a, it's a great still, a great shot, this one right here. Don't her. you kind of wish they could have stayed together? Maybe season four, we'll go back to Dougie and Janie E, like the, the fifth guy. Wouldn't that be well? We yeah. talked about this on the phone. It's like no one could predict what would happen in a season four, but I think we were talking about. I came up with an idea that is totally stupid, but if like Cooper is still trapped somewhere in another dimension, a dream with Laura, Carrie, what have you, and Cole and whatever they're looking for him or something, wouldn't it be interesting if like they got somehow Blue Rose or somehow this Cooper, the Tulpa Cooper that came home in Part Eighteen, was going to be tasked with finding his well dale cooper his, his like i'm gonna say shadow self but wouldn't that be interesting a cooper trying to track down cooper but it's like more of the the home life of janie e and cooper and seeing how it's evolved and whatnot it's a stupid idea but you know it's an idea. well even think about this like if, if, if they're lost in laura land the laura dream in 18 then if we start season four won't gordon cole be like where the hell's coop like again we gotta find him <laughs> it's the same fucking thing we're gonna go find coop again well, do you think maybe that that Cole would wake up in Buckhorn again, even though they went to maybe like that whole thing was a dream? Too, <laughs> yeah, when he was walking. Oh, so okay, that wasn't really him walking down the corridor in seventeen, right? Was that just like his dream self, dream avatar? I know. I think what we really we need to focus in a, at some point later on with the show or just a, a segment on on Cole. Because on the surface, he's just this folksy, avuncular, even though he's the main man of the Blue Rose Task Force, but he knows so much more of what's going on. And I think that he really is. He's buried the green bodies, Tom. The little green bodies, little aliens, he's buried them. (laughs) He knows where they're buried, yeah. He's like a he's like a seer, like a strong sender, just like Cooper is as well, but he just I think he hides it more. And I think there was a reason why he was with Diane and Coop in that transition scene from the sheriff's station to the uh, furnace room of the Great Northern. Um, but I also think that what we're seeing at that point is that maybe Cooper mastering the art of dreaming and becoming a lucid dreamer. So maybe he was taking his two closest confidants, confidants Cole and Diane, with him, giving them cryptic message you'll see at the curtain call and you know, and going in and visiting them one our man and ultimately Philip Jeffries. But you're right. I think we need to dive into to Cole more because we're going to see here in a little bit he has the vision of Laura. There's so much more going on with his character and obviously he's keeping a lot of secrets. He reveals the whole Judy thing to Albert in part 17. So I think there's a great deal that he knows. Uh, maybe even with Philip Jeffries. As well. He might even be working with Philip Jeffries because of the whole Ray thing. Yeah, but if there's ever a scene, if he happened to be Catholic or something, he goes to confession in season four, there would be a lot of shit we don't know about. Do you want to confess? <laughs> there would. Or shrink? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Well, here we are. Janie E. We just skipped through Dr. Amp, but uh, Janie E. and Dougie uh, <laughs> at post-sex the next morning. Everything's great. They're in love. He's like a happy, the happiest man in the world. Well, it's all about to be dashed in one second when he looks at his son, right? Right. Well, no, no, no. That was in part four. He doesn't oh, okay. look at, Yeah, we don't get that. that, that uh, so he's great now. 
that he's gloomy, stay sunny gym shot, maybe yeah. like shot in reverse. But that Doctor Amp scene when I was watching it, it was it was you know it was just him you know ranting again. But how many Doctor watched... Amp rants did we have in the series individually, like separately? I think three, three, right? Yeah. But when I watched that scene, I could just I just have an image of Mark Frost. Like doing the whole like on the keyboard. Remember that scene in Seinfeld where Kramer gets the cameo in Murphy Brown and <laughs> with the pipe? Yeah, he's typing like a maniac. Yeah, five thousand yeah. miles an hour. That's that's Frost. Yeah, he probably has. I just see Frost there. That because that that's his wheelhouse. Ding, ding. You know? Yeah, he was just going nuts. He had that actually. He had that saved up. That was saved up, and he just inserted that from a yeah. book of some kind. Here we go, Chad's uh, gonna steal a fucking donut. Well, no, we missed we missed a little twenty second uh, transition shot of Jerry in the woods. Oh, yeah. Screaming out, you can't fool me. And, He's uh, got no service, Tom. You should have known that. <laughs> I got no service out there. We couldn't even find the fucking coordinates. It's hard. Yeah, that's right. We, yeah. Well, we were complete. We walked right past it. I mean, right. We made it to the suicide tree with Stephen and Gersten. That's where we met Jackie and I think Yelena. But we walked right past Jack Rabbit's palace. We needed help. Yeah. I would be terrified if I was lost in those woods, Tom. With no GPS. We were going to go look for the, the coordinates at scared. night, but we never made it out of our We couldn't room. even find them. <laughs> at all well here we go Chad's still uh, messing with Lucy messing with her head not a good guy oh yeah this is yeah. So nice this gentleman is, in real life but this is a good Lucy scene after the first couple of episodes like really that whole cell phone thing but it kind of makes sense in retrospect now with what we saw in part 17 with her understanding cell phones and there's a little bit of an arc there but I like her character how she's portraying her character more um, as the series unfolds and this is a good scene she doesn't overdo yeah, it. She's, she's still kind of loose. She's smart. She's watching him. She's checking. She's got a, you know, she knows what's going on. She's a part of the plot here. She's just not comic relief falling over in a chair. <laughs> right. Right. We never got to see the face of the mailman. No, we, there's a, the you'll person, see here in a second. Carrier. Like, watch what, like, oh, there uh, is. Chad is like looking through the mail and there's a, like, a long close up of yeah. this mailman going like, uh, like scowling. Are, yeah, right. <laughs> Who are you? Why am I giving you the mail? So I want to point something out. Like, there's a, a big thing that um, what I read, it um, made me think, maybe dream, that originally, and I can't remember the source, but Lynch apparently had a different interpretation of NATO. Like, NATO was going to be in the script, um, but the, like at the last minute or late in the production game, I don't know if it was before they shot or started shooting, or maybe it was you know at the end of writing, what have you, that he made a change to NATO. I don't know if Sabrina Sutherland, I, th- I think maybe Sabrina Sutherland mentioned that. And it got, to me, got me thinking because of everything with part 17, with NATO transforming into Diane. Um, what would have been different with NATO? What could have been different with NATO? Well, I was thinking with this episode specifically, called Laura is the one basically at the end of this episode the log lady's talking to the hawk talking to the hawk hawk and she's got that long kind of it's almost like a poem talking about the electricity's dying what will be in the darkness that remains but she ends all this whole thing with like Laura is the one and I think what she's doing is she's uh, prophesizing or at least telling him foretelling their journey to Jackrabbit's palace well if that's the case Laura is the one what if NATO who's that's who they found in part 14 um, what if originally NATO transformed into Laura Palmer? And that's what Lynch changed because we know part 18 was uh, was also written late in the game. Like that whole thing with Laura, whatever. So we knew that Laura was going to be involved somehow. Maybe what, what Lynch thought was like, that's like blowing my wad too quickly. If I have Laura in part 17 with NATO, it's 
it's going to lessen the kind of the drama of the part 18 but it got me thinking and there are some interesting connections with maybe Laura being NATO as maybe originally conceived and seeing you know what did transpire that's interesting it's compelling it doesn't really make sense can you imagine if she just showed back up in the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station like the amount of paperwork like what kind of even paperwork would you find <laughs> you know, the sheriff be bizarre uh, I'm not sure how it would even it would, I don't know how that would work plot wise I think it's good I like that I think it's probably is probably how he originally conceived NATO but then well, what? I guess I guess it would have just all been a dream reality. The entire sheriff station, because you know, she couldn't have been. Well, they didn't retcon her it, yet. I guess maybe there could have been a. They could have changed. Well, the, I think the the yeah, timeline is show, is slowly shifting even before that. Maybe you know even from the very beginning, but mostly after part seven. But it wouldn't have unfolded the way that it did. What we saw, there would have had to have been changes. I don't think like Cooper would have started going like Laura and started make, making out with her. It would have been different. So I think it, it could have turned to the like, fact that she could take her face off, so that Nida was just another face she could put on. We saw her take well, her one, face off, but maybe she could put her face down, put another face on, and ah, boop. right. And also, I was thinking too is where was Nada? Where was her domain when we first saw her? Was in the the purple room, as we we call it, like up in space. Well, once she you know pulled the lever and you know fell and you know. You know, was flowing, you know, falling through space, ultimately to Jack Rabbit's palace. When Coop returned to that room, who was there? Renette. So, what's the connection? Laura, Renette. You know, there's a connection there. Well, it's all in Cooper's head, though. Is it Nido part of Cooper's figment, or is she real? That's a good question. It's a very good question. You were know, passing I, over the entire. I know. Hello, Johnny. How are you today? The most bizarre <laughs> scenes in the history of Twin Peaks. Well, this Johnny also Horn, was. He's back. This he was a stuntman, and he's has he got a is really a stuntman. Terrifying teddy bear. Yeah. He is a stuntman. Do you want to know why they used a stuntman? Is because this was the scene originally written, I believe, for Audrey Horn to play the Sylvia Horn part. This was supposed to be Audrey's big set piece and maybe her only real scene. And when she got it, she freaked out and refused to do it. And Lynch had to rewrite her whole uh, uh, storyline, her arc. So what they did is they changed it, brought Sylvia in, because they were supposed to shoot this. They shot this on location in Twin Peaks. I think Ben might have been there, perhaps. Um, And the original Johnny was supposed to, I believe, play Johnny. But then they had to change it at the last minute. So um, this is very interesting. Can you imagine if this would have only been, this would have been the only scene with Audrey? Yeah, I would not have liked it. So, and even Sylvia, the actress who played her, was a trooper for doing it. It's a very painful scene to watch. I really like Johnny's performance in this, <laughs> and the teddy bear. Um, little Dicky Horn's a little extreme, <laughs> but the teddy bear is just fascinating to me. Like, there's looks like there's cream corn inside of it. I'm like, who made that teddy bear for him? Did like a lodge entity make it? Like, did Little Dicky Horn in Bob's control make that teddy bear <laughs> to like mentally torment know. like uh, Johnny in terms of the, the lodge side or something? Like, what's up with that history of that fucking bear, man? Don't you think it would have been a real no sane person made it? What it could have been like a Christmas present from Jerry <laughs> from a strange part of the world? The new I Jerry from you. the Amsterdam yeah. Express. Yeah, right. you. yeah, all right. Or go. maybe he made it like in his off time, listening to like Neil Young and you know by his cabin in the woods, like getting high. This would be good for Johnny. I make Johnny a bear, a teddy bear, a Lodgian teddy bear. But yeah, this scene was really. This is like a fourth scene in this episode of like. You know, extreme violence and violence against women. Well, the candy scene was different, but Miriam, Miriam. and yeah, Miriam was big, and then Becky, and now Sylvia. And uh, I love the, the the background music. It reminded me of like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest or something, maybe. Yeah, what was or it? I think Cooper- it was from The Shining or something. I'm not sure what it came from. It was. Was it a Kubrick movie or was I it Foreman's it was Kubrick, uh, Cuckoo's Nest? Sure. I can't remember. But right. but with the Johnny thing, the hello Johnny, how are you today? Going on constantly with this violence, <laughs> and then Sylvie react. It was just really unsettling. 
Well, here's a scene with Tizemore coming to meet, uh, what's his name from Holland Drive? Duncan Todd. Duncan Todd. Forgot those two were connected. What's their connection again? He's just a, a stoolie for Duncan Todd. And who does Duncan Todd work for? Why do we care? Mr. C. Mr. C. This whole thing is because Duncan Todd keeps getting instructions from Mr. C to knock off Cooper, and everyone keeps failing. So this is his last chance. So, so this is also in. kind of like a dream world, isn't it? Like, this Sizemore is from Dougie's dream world, and he's missing meeting Duncan Todd from Mr. C's real world. So this is where the two, the dream worlds start to blur, isn't it? One of these scenes. It's a very good point that you make, right? That's the one kind of real hitch in the little yeah, theory. Yeah, how do these the scenes theory. connect together? Yeah. Right. Well, it's it is the one thing I keep thinking about is that one scene with Duncan Todd. I don't know what episode it was. Maybe six is where he gets he's on his computer and he sees that red square on his computer monitor and he knows that there's like a file or something in the safe and he turns around and it's a picture of like well I don't know what it, is it a picture it's or I instructions think it's just, yeah it's a death it's one. an instructions yeah. to basically or pictures to, to knock off uh, Lorraine and and Dougie yeah but how did they get there how did Mister C get him that instruction. It wasn't like a fax or anything. It seemed like very mysterious. He probably mailed it like Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> no, Here's Albert and Constance uh, hooking up. This is a great scene. Yeah, and it's all smile and happy. And we'll the last time we see together. Constance. Yeah. This is it. Maybe they got married and they're living happily ever after. I would like to think that. I like the red, red drapes in the background. Yeah. It's really a very um, happy little scene. And I, I'm glad that we got this this ending from this flirtation between Constance and Albert, because that really was a great scene in the morgue with them flirting. You could tell they liked each other and we didn't need to see them go on like many dates or have a courtship or get married or whatever, but just to have that little touch, that little scene there, I thought was great. Yep. And here we are back at the silver Mustang. Yeah. Nepper's cut does look pretty bad now that I see it in full glory. (laughs) You couldn't really hide that. It's a big ass gash, man. Yeah. Okay, so I want to bring something up, too. This is the scene where it's it's a great scene, but it's really the Mitchum brothers watching for, like, five minutes Candy going to talk to Sizemore and then coming back. And basically the, the sum, summary is, is that Sizemore's character has to convince the Mitchum brothers that Dougie Jones is their enemy to, to knock him off. Because if they don't knock him off, then Tom Sizemore's character has to knock him off. And that leads to that whole scene with the, the poison coffee and the dandruff, the space dandruff on his, you know, and he breaks down, which is a great scene. But um, what I want to tell, ask you is that um, remember what we talked about in the last podcast? We don't have to go too much into it, but we kind of addressed it a little bit, was the creation of the original Dougie Tulpa. And we had, we got really kind of an excitable little brief conversation at the end of the podcast. But who actually created that tulpa? Was it Mr. C or was it Cooper? And the only reason why I say the Cooper possibly is when he wakes up in part 16 when he sees the one-armed man, he immediately tells him, like, do you have the seed, the, the Dougie seed, and I need you to make, make me another. Like he had actually had Philip Gerard make him another. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because, I mean, I think that's a real, if we can kind of like nail that, I think that would be like a big, big, big. Well, I think there's no nailing it, but I do think that like with our theory that Dougie, the dream theory that, that, that Cooper himself in his dream state created Dougie and that it wasn't Mr. C because we never saw Mr. C really do it. We never saw it actually verbally uh, clarified that it was done. He said he had a plan, right? But we didn't know what the fuck the plan was. It was very, very vague. And so it's one of those slippery, uh, you know, dream theory moments where it's almost like the chicken or the egg. Who came first? I don't know who created it, but I think it was Dougie, or I think it was Coop who created the Dougie Tulpa. What do you so, think? So, because we know that Dougie was, well, he didn't really have an existence before 97. So it seems that 
that before then he didn't exist. So sometime in 97. So you're saying that sometime like within the lodge, Coop like was like, okay, I need to create this, this Tulpa. And Philip Gerard went ahead and facilitated it. And, and well, I think he he, I'm not it. sure he even. I'm not sure it actually was real. It was all just like this dream thing. Like maybe he was stuck in the lodge for five or six years, you know, at the end of the series, and then he got bored and just like kind of went into kind of fell into, fell asleep, fell asleep in the lodge, and in the lodge he was dreaming this Dougie reality. Well, the whole thing yeah. is that the Mr. C. The one big thing with Mr. C is that for some reason, and I think even though it's not alluded to, but. There's, I think, a very good reason why he's not taking care of business himself. He's not going to Vegas. You would think he after can't. all the failed hits. Because he can't. And this plan has nothing to do with that. Vegas. That has nothing to do with Dougie, really. I don't do think. Do you think it's possible? It's possible. I'm not saying that everything is a dream because I don't, I don't buy into that. I would never buy into that. But parts of the whole narrative, especially the, the Cooper in Vegas, we really kind of believe that. But when Mr. C is about to go in, get pulled in, and Dougie gets pulled in, and the whole vomit scene, and he passes out, like it just seems like Mr. C isn't as badass or Mr. C, even though he has his moments. Like after that, is it possible that even like after that moment with his storyline, that that it, it maybe part of that is manufactured itself? Like some yeah. of it is real and some of it isn't. Definitely, I think that's it's un, it's unresolved. It's unsolved. Yeah. <laughs> we'll that's never know. Idea. You know, I think it's one of those things. <laughs> it's like a, it's like an MC Escher painting. You know what I'm saying? You can see both angles of it. It's, it's got two valid interpretations. And probably the longer we watch this and scrutinize it, the more we'll realize that a lot of Mr. C's shit was also a part of the dream. It wasn't real. Yeah. That's the one thing that we really haven't talked a lot about because it, that's, it's hard. Mr. C didn't seem very realistic, did he? Come on. Just in general. It's the way he went, well, around, but, went I, about his business. Didn't seem real. Like he... Get Bob in him. That was the whole thing. Yeah, you know? like he's living it's another not world. Not going to be real. Yeah, I mean, he could do all kinds of like supernatural things. He can't be killed, and uh, he can you know kick ass at, at arm wrestling. I mean, he has all these little powers or whatever. But also at the same time, he's really very ineffective at his you know whatever his end game is, finding the coordinates, and you know getting shot by Ray, getting shot by Lucy. He's, he's not a complete badass. I would, I, I would go and venture and say like Leland was maybe more of a badass than Mr. C. I mean, he definitely he was more of a longer. badass. What are you kidding? He was absolutely more terrifying and way more of a badass. That's why I, I really had a hard time getting into Mr. C. I don't know what episode I finally bought into it, but uh, yeah, he kind of was laughable a little bit at the beginning. <laughs> you start to love him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what the part I, I really started to love him was when he fucking goes like, goodbye, my son. As soon as little Dicky Horn just got electrocuted, he was like, I don't give a fuck. I like that. Well, Darn for me, it was, I, I liked it originally, but what really like sold it for me was the interrogation scene with Cole. Oh, and yeah. Robert and Tammy. But see, that wasn't really him. He didn't stick with that character. If he had gone to that voice and gone into freak out, like that would have been great. I wish he had used that voice and bizarro acting throughout the entire series as Mr. C. Yeah. Personally. Well, but you can yeah, also yeah. think about even though it's Cooper's shadow self and maybe the, all the darker elements and components of Cooper, Cooper himself when he was like whole as we knew him in the original series I mean he had demons but he was not a, like a dark like fatally flawed character so it makes sense that even his shadow self it's not going to be like super super duper badass you know like like a total like a demon you know with this demon within him like he's still going to like have some Cooperisms in him you know, in him to some extent so that kind of maybe I'm going to say validates the actual performance or the characterization of Mr. C but I agree with you. I, I would I would have liked him to have been like even darker if that's possible. And I think it I think it is possible. Yeah, we could have had the same Mr. C we saw, but then like when it, when it had to get serious and he had to become a vicious murderer to drop down into that like interrogation tone tonality, 
and weirdness like well, that would have been a little bit even more terrifying i thought just like your suggestion or that originally in blue velvet uh frank booth was supposed to be sucking on fucking helium <laughs> instead of nitrous oxide that sounds ridiculous but it would in retrospect be quite terrifying if you if uh, frank booth had been doing all those lines with a little baby voice especially baby wants yeah, to that, fuck that'd have been really bizarre right isn't it like helium? i saw like uh, there's there's a documentary where you know Hopper's talking about um, like when he got on set because I, I think like Lint, like he didn't know it was was supposed to be helium, and then he he did it and he was like this is ridiculous and he goes well what about nitrous oxide and Lynch didn't know it and Lynch what is, like, is oh, that better we'll do that <laughs> <laughs> but then then Hopper goes like but then I started thinking like after the fact like Lynch wrote it in there for a reason and it's like maybe I was wrong his whole like mommy and, and baby and baby wants to fuck and daddy if you're doing all this extreme like rape and violence and sex freakish, with his man. baby voice I mean how unsettling would that have been that would been really bad scary scarier anyway here, I like this I scene where say, like uh, the Mitchum brothers are like having their moment here like regret yeah well, what is what is what does uh, Nepper mean by like now I know how Brando felt does he mean Marlon Brando or like Corleone because they're mobs <laughs> Him and Wally, apprentice. He knows all about Wally's story. Wally got fucked over. Because it's a dream. In internship. Yeah, exactly. It's Wally. No, I do. I like this. It's just them. I mean, they're great. I love them. I love that it's a different spin on the mobster. I, but this scene, really, it's just like you just see them. They're like, you know, they're just, they're so welled up with like frustration and anger, but they're still like, you know, pretty good guys. They're orphans when it comes down to it, right? You know, they're, yeah, they're you know, orphans. That's maybe why they. Maybe Candy, Mandy, and Sandy are orphans too, because didn't didn't Belushi say like if we if we fire or let her go, she's got no place to go. I hope so they, they I hope they let the the ladies wear some like non heels every once in a while. They're gonna have bunions if they have to wear those heels. <laughs> I was gonna say earlier, I think this location, this house, if I'm not mistaken, was the same house used in Mad Men when Draper went to L.A. in like what season three, season four. Okay. There was like a party outside by the pool. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. I think I think he smoked a hookah. I know Lynch. Oh, is that? Okay. All Maybe. right. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that. But, here's the big uh, scene. Here's the pivotal scene, Tom. Laura's the one. Here we go. What is that? What's that doodle? <laughs> well, what is it? I'm, what, what do you think? It looks like Bob's hand coming out of the sycamore trees coming to rip the head off a elk. I haven't well, looked at it. Let me, it let me like, look at it again. It needs to be a close-up yet. Hang on. Because okay. <laughs> I think it kind of intimates, like, be careful. We are know, zooming in. Or... Let's see. Okay. Yeah. It's like an aardvark with, like, antlers on his head and an evil... Bob hands coming out to get and a you. hand with a watch, I think. Like and here comes Laura. He answers the the door. Not was there a knock at the door? Yeah, it was Albert. I thought about that. I was like, what? How? But it was Albert. He just doesn't Albert see knocked. Albert. He sees Laura. And there's the Sarah Warble like Laura. It's almost like her head was like over, like almost superimposed, like a, like the Cooper dream head in Seventeen. It was big. It wasn't right, like life sized. It was a large impression of her head. And it also looked like that in the background. Like the 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 wall that it seemed behind Laura that there was like the wallpaper from the convenience store because in the movie the shot they took from yeah. Firewalk with Me she's just standing in front of Donna's and then when Albert's there like behind him it's just kind of just dark brown it looked like I saw the the inside of the convenience did store did you freeze frame that and like verify that no I didn't but it's just on, it's one of those like yeah. what Periella whatever that word is where you, yeah so um, I don't know well one thing comes up here is this Tammy there's a, there's a moving doorknob here in a second which yeah. is a swivel swivel doorknob it's very bizarre and I have no idea what the fuck that means still I think it's another little visual something for like you know all that's like the Beatles Paul is dead like you know all the, the records going reverse like turn me on dead man turn me on dead man it's like hey look the reality is like shifting 
things are shifting here. And to have it right after the scene where Cole sees Laura, I think was just a little you know, visual clue to the fans. Like, hey, look, here's something to for you to chew on. It's like, things are different. It's like here one moment. You know, you know, that can like, imply that maybe this is also not real. It's possible, right? I mean, Cole is has the Monica Bellucci dream or the dreams the 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 dream scene. Could oh, here it goes. She's in slow motion too, like Christabel. Slow motion. Sw- oh, there it goes swivel. It's just like episode yeah, two, you, whenever uh, when Mr. C shoots uh, Phyllis. There's a little swivel when she right. gets shot. And you know what, Cole, when he was drawing that doodle, that costs money, Tom. That's CGI that costs money, and he's like, "Do it." <laughs> Got a limited budget, but we're putting that swivel knob. And so you know, there's got to be some logic behind it. Well, you know, when he's doing that it's doodle, drawing away. that doodle, that that device, that bugging device that he used on Tammy in part four is right to the left of him. Like, it's there. Like, he's got that on him. And I know he uses it with Diane and Let's Rock when they're about to talk about the Blue Rose thing. So he's really conscious about someone bugging him. But who would bug him? I don't know. I love the shot of the guru in the, in the glass box. This is the great shot. How did is they get floating? this shot? Yeah, it's like he's sitting on a chair, a stool. He looks like Gandhi or something with glasses on. And like a, a white lab coat, but he looks very peaceful, and he's uh, looks like he's like you know almost like Mr. C's like at the at his knee, you know, learning from him. I Do you think this mysteries. is the the mysteries. man who devised the glass box, like a scientist? Yes. yes. That so Mr. C, Mr. C, C commissioned him. Yeah. But doesn't the glass box? It can actually pull in the experiment, but it can also send you on a cosmic journey to the purple room and or anywhere else. Can it send you? Can it send you out, or just take you in? Well, it sent Cooper. I made him really small, but that could have still been a dream. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. But I don't know. That's that's the fuzzy part of it. I think that really after he leaves, gets sucked out in the floor of the lodge, and that brings up a point I want to talk about in a second, is that he goes first to the glass box, and then he's in space again, and then he winds up in the purple room, is that maybe those are like transitional scenes still being manufactured by the lodge, but maybe not. I don't know. It's still, because that glass box, it's murky. Was it real? Was it not? It seems to be real, but it kind of meshes into the Cooper dream world journey when he goes off and goes it it also plays with time because when he, when we see him in the glass box in part two, it flashes to Sam and Tracy. Oh yeah. The scene of them. So it's almost like maybe the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm sent him back maybe a little bit beforehand, or it was just an editing choice. Just editing choice. Lynch. Here's a great moving scene. Here's uh, the log lady talking to Hawk. Wait, no, speech. no. You missed the band, like, you know, like talking to Sylvia. And he's like, you know, I'm not giving you any more money. And then he puts the old band Does like the old the, head and hands. He's just miserable. <laughs> head and hands. Slumped head. The old and then he trademark. goes like. Remember, he used to have his head he very has, high. Remember, when, like, are you quite high. finished? He would lift his chin high back in the day when he was like faced with trauma. Now he lowers it in defeat. It's a life. Well, then he says, Beverly, would you like to have dinner with me? It's like he's having a moment of weakness. It's well, also a moment, the effect. moment of transcendence as well. He's realizing he's got to move on. He's got to. Well, no, I think he's trying to be a good man and not go to his more baser instincts and go after Beverly. But from the result of Little Dicky Horn, who is the product of Cooper failing and Mr. C having sex with Audrey, and that whole thing has caused Ben to have that moment. It's another, it's like an aftershock of the events of the original series. And I think that we're seeing that throughout season three, but you know, within the town of Twin Peaks, it's focused primarily on little Dickie Horn. And that's why I think Lynch and Frost gave uh, uh, Richard Horn such, well, I am say a prominent role, but within the Twin Peaks community, because it really correlates to the theme of Cooper's failure as doppel- doppelganger from the end of the original series. Yeah, I mean, watching Margaret Lanterman's speech here, do you think she really knows what she's talking about? 
<laughs> like the circle the character is or the actress no think about this okay here's my theory the circle like she's talking about the circle is almost complete she's it's almost like she's channeling this information but she it's almost like a riddle to her she's telling it to him so that he can solve it she doesn't know what it really means she doesn't know that the circle is complete is tied into cooper's completion right does she no, because it's coming from the log. She's just yeah. really kind of interpreting Yeah, she's it, right? just channeling the log. She's just telling what the log... The log says this. I don't know what the fuck this means. But doesn't she also say one of his me- one of the messages to him earlier, she says something like, like... She doesn't say, like, well, this can't be revealed, but, like, I can't tell you about that now. I can't remember the exact yeah, line, something. but I think she said... I so maybe she does know more, but I agree with you. I don't think she can put all the pieces that she knows it's related directly to Jack Rabbit's palace like Major Briggs knew. Because I think Major Briggs knew because, well, he didn't have a log. He, I think, was in cahoots Are with the sure? fireman somehow. Are we sure he didn't well, have a log, I mean, Tom? <laughs> he had one. Well, that's another thing. That, and I just realized that is that Major Briggs was, had to fake his own death and eventually died while in hiding, hibernating, because Cooper's doppelganger, Mr. C, you know, had a hard-on to find him. And that's another, like, cause and effect from Cooper's failure. And it also broke up the Briggs family. Betty is a, is a widow now, and I'm sure Bobby had major uh, sadness losing his father right after high school, like, weeks after his, his the moment with, with Major Briggs at the double R with his vision speech, one of our favorite scenes of all time. So it's all these, like, kind of cascading events from Cooper that are affecting a lot of the, you know, not only the community of Twin Peaks, but, you know, everywhere, but... Um, I just I just keep harping on that because I just think it really is like tied into like the the theme of this show. Don't you think that's one big missing chunk of the original series? If like uh, you know Major Briggs and Cooper are supposed to have this antagonistic thing going on, he ends up killing him or all you know chasing him out of town, all this stuff. Like that should have been shown in the original series or Firewalk and Mirror hinted at, alluded to at, at some point. Isn't that a wait? Big what are you talking about? Like Cooper and Briggs or Mr. C. C and Briggs? Mr. C. Well, yeah, well. Are you talking about in season three or in the original series? Well, I mean, just in general. Maybe you're right, not just the original series, but I would like to know. It always came at the very end, you know? I think if Don Davis, the actor who played Major Briggs, was still alive, that we would have had a different interpretation. I'd like to have seen it, essentially, instead of, you know, heard about it. Well, well, that's the whole thing. How many scenes can we, you know, mention right now that we would rather see uh, than, than be told about? First and foremost, for me is Hastings in the zone with Briggs. They could have easily done that with like a CGI, just pop, you know, Briggs's head, Don Davis's head on a body and showed us that scene. And how cool would it have been in the zone to see Hastings and Ruth, Briggs levitating, his head coming off, all these sooties come in, maybe fucking uh, Mr. C is there, chaos. Could have been very like Lost Highway-esque. Um, I was really hoping for that, but instead we we got a, a scene where the character told us about it, and there's any number of those scenes. It's almost like they and told us about really, his entire like uh, lodgy and time tripping journey. Like we don't even we never got to see any of his like his transformation into that person. You know, we saw him right. disappear in season two for a couple of days or whatever when he got lost in the woods. He came back with the whatever outfit on, the nineteen forty one pilot outfit. But we didn't His get aviator to see it. Outfit, yeah, yeah I would lo- I'd like to, that could be an entire Mark Frost like uh, you know side story I would like to read about. Well, the great thing was seeing his, his floating head in part three. That was super mysterious. That was great. That was, I love that. was that. great. Yeah, but I think that just like with the Bob bubble, what they were really able to do with Bob, even though I prefer the version of Bob in the original series, I still think they did a really, really good job with it. It was very effective. There were some legitimately creepy scenes, but I think they could have done maybe a little bit more with, with Major Briggs. Um, yeah. So just that, have somebody that, that kind of looks like his, his stature, have like shots from over his shoulder. 
put some CG yeah. on his head. Yeah, and you don't have to do too much with it. Just a little bit, you know? Just a little bit. That's all he asked for. Yeah, I I agree. Well, here we are. We got Rebecca Del Rio singing No Stars, one of my favorite songs on the the soundtrack. And some of the songs, the lyrics really kind of tie in thematically to... Oh, yeah, um, so there's also a frog moth sound at 314, if you guys listen to it on on Spotify. And there's a sound. It's, It's at 314, I believe. And it sounds so bizarre. It's like a frog belching. And I've never been able to understand what the fuck that sound is. I believe I mentioned this in the original podcast when I was into the I song. I think you were like and there's been no explanation for this. Yeah, I've still never heard it. Yeah, you were both real. I think during. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've listened to that you song kept... five thousand times, and every time at three fourteen, I'm like, what the fuck is that sound? Sure <laughs> so if anybody knows, maybe three fifteen. Yeah, I think it was. It's almost three fifteen, Tom. I think we talked dang, about that as well. Dang, anyway, if anybody knows dang. out there, let us know. Send us a tweet. I like it better what with the sound you... down. I think I like it better than I originally liked it. Hey, this episode is still going, my friend. We're not done yet. Yeah. That was the whole thing is that I, when I was watching this earlier tonight, I was thinking like, do you think Julie Cruz watches this end? Because they actually play the whole fucking song. They play the whole song. The, the starring Kyle MacLachlan doesn't come in until like three or four minutes. She's and Julie seething. Cruz got like 45 yeah, seconds. Yeah, she probably was just yeah. steaming. Yeah, exactly. But it's a great, it's great. It's a great song. It really was, I thought it was great. And I thought it was well done. But you're right. They, well, it was a short, like you said, one of the shorter episodes, only 53 minutes, as you said, right? So they had to fill time. Yeah. I think and they couldn't the put Julie Cruz here in episode 10. They had to put it at the end. It was a right. jam-packed episode, but they didn't have time to, you know, put all that shit in there. Well, even with that, We've I have already think heard that it anyway. The, We've already seen the it. The Julie Cruz <laughs> in part 17, you didn't need to show the whole no, no, world spins. No. It was perfect for what we saw, just enough of it. Yeah, because we all have sense um, memory of that moment. Done. We already know what it sounds like. I think it was just the little 30 seconds or whatever it was worked. Not for her. Well, what they could have done, they could have done like they did with like Orvois, Simone, and I think the Chromatics. I think they both had two performances. Why not have Julie Cruz come on on a different episode and uh, She's difficult perform to another do song? Them, apparently, that's it. <laughs> or why not have Harry Dean Stanton? Here's what I would have done: is like I would have had this end credits, use this song somewhere else, or maybe do a little on, snippet of it, Tom. and then go back to Harry Dean in Red River Valley over the credits. Well, How you cool just wanted to slip been? in that. I understand. You wanted to have cast members, and you're still arguing about that. You don't like the songs at the end. I can respect that. But uh, I think this is one of the best. No stars. I know. You I think the guy that wrote this song was at the Twin Peaks Festival, actually. John Neff. Yeah. He, he was. Yeah. yeah. He was Lynch's. Like he was the Dean Hurley before Dean Hurley. He was Lynch's Dean Hurley before. Do Dean you think Hurley. he hates Dean Hurley? He's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> my job. I don't think Lynch like just like fired him and said like you know you're not doing a good <laughs> job. I think that he just ghosted think- him probably just like he did Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. I'm sorry. Okay, so we note. got a couple minutes here. I want to just bring something up, and maybe we'll talk about this because we've never talked about this. I don't think I've ever noticed this before. I was watching because I bought the Criterion of Firewalk with me, and I was watching it before we left for Snoqualmie a couple weeks ago. And the whole, you know, dreams or the convenience store scene, the Philip Jeffrey scene. In that scene with everyone, they're sitting at the table, and everyone else is sitting, you know, on a sofa or a chair. There is a stool in the middle of the room just beyond Bob and the man from another place an unoccupied stool and it just got me thinking like why is no one sitting on that stool is there someone missing and then I got to thinking like okay what is the context of this scene this is really what we're seeing is what Philip Jeffries was seeing and it seems like even though Judy I think has evolved since the original conception of Firewalk with me it seems like from the script and the missing pieces that Jeffries met Judy in Seattle and they went to the convenience store and that is what he saw but if there is an unoccupied stool was it perhaps that that was Judy's role in 
the lodge or in the convenience store, but she's not there because she had brought Philip Jeffries there for maybe a reason why he was getting too close to her. Uh, that sounds feasible. I would think that Judy's uh, would be a throne. It would not be a stool. Tom. <laughs> a We've also just talked about what if Mrs. Tremont is Mrs. Judy Tremont. So that's we did, but she was in that scene. Yeah, but the, yes. uh, and then I also thought like there's a scene in part. I think it's part eleven. The next one that we'll do. You know, who knows when we'll do it. But um, there's a scene where post zone they're in the Buckhorn Police Department and. Uh, Tammy brings in like coffee and donuts. And I think Cole says like the policeman's dream, which is also a callback to the the pilot where Cooper said pretty much the same thing, a policeman's dream with all the donuts laid out. Dude, after you, get your, when, you saw his head get blown off, would you really be up for donuts? I would just be like, especially a jelly. Kind of reminds you of the gushy <laughs> head scene you just saw. Yeah. It's my last one. It's a jelly. It's it jelly. Me of Strange Brew. Sorry. Just watch Strange Brew. But anyway, that scene in the buckhorn, they're all sitting down, but there's one person sitting on a stool on a stool and it's Diane it's Diane and she's sitting above everyone else and it's it's kind of like well you could say around the the, uh, the dinner table the conversation is lively but it's also kind of like a meeting I'm not saying it's not the convenience store but but we know that you know Diane is supposedly NATO but we also speculate that maybe NATO is Judy well it ties back into the whole thing is like is the uh, Gordon Cole and Diane and Albert all that stuff is it real is it a dream world did that really happen or did it not so that's another like uh, you know case to be made for maybe it did not happen that it's still some sort of figment they're like uh, morphing that convenience store shot somehow that she is Judy in hiding and it's a similar setup, and we're supposed to put the pieces together. I would think that's probably not the case, but it's possible that really this is a puzzle board that's like an abstract painting where we can interpret it in different ways. So I think that's another point where you can interpret it multi ways. So I like that interpretation. It's possible. I like that the connection of having Diane sitting on that uh, stool that's very similar to the missing one in the convenience store that could possibly be Judy. I dig it. Is it true? Well, do you have any? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't but know. do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Uh, well, like I said, I think I liked it better with a sound down. Now, I'm not sure if I would like it better with a sound up because all the screaming and the horrible shit was that I didn't have to absorb that. But with the sound down, I give it uh, two points higher uh, on a scale of 10 to probably maybe like a six or a seven. Maybe not a seven, no. Maybe a six. Before I thought it was Well, you never said, okay, so my final question to you is say, you never really said because we moved on to Laura. What do you think that doodle represents? You mentioned the bob arm, but is there anything else that you think it might mean? Uh, well, think about it this way. Like in the sycamore trees, when we saw Bob's arm peeking out of the curtains, right? It was like transcending from the lodge to reality. And what he was just about to experience when he opened that door was Laura doing the same thing, not with her hand, but with her giant head crying. So it was a similar type of, uh, it was a foreshadowing of that, I believe. And maybe could he knew it was going to come because he was drawing it. Maybe he was conjuring it. Could have been conjuring could it. Could also maybe. be something that Cole is intuiting. He doesn't understand it. Yeah. Just like Laura appearing, somehow he's able to channel it, but maybe it's foreshadowing of what Cooper is doing in part 17 by going back in time to save Laura, like reaching out for something to save, but there are consequences. This is like an antlered animal. Like you might get your hand ripped off or yep, there might be some... Yep, there you go. See, it's two interpretations. There's almost every point in the story you can have multiple variant, variant interpretations of what's happening. That's what's so beautiful about it. That's true. That's I mean, we're still talking about it a year plus after. We'll probably keep talking about it for another year. Yeah, maybe we'll Who do knows? a review a year from now again and we'll have another third interpretation of that drawing. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Why don't you get, leave us with a nice little uh, rendition of uh, from your uh, Leland's Greatest Hits? 
Uh, no, I retired that a long time. I think that was at the very that end. If you listen, yeah, if you listen to the very end of last podcast, there's a little Easter egg of me singing like Leland. So we're gonna check that out. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. How are you today?